Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. Today, I'm just delighted to be have the privilege to be joined by uh, Dr. Cam Clousing and Dr. Gregory Parker, Jr., both of whom are uh, responsible for two recent editions, two recent translations uh, for uh, from Herman Bobink. Uh, the first being Guidebook for Instruction in the Christian Religion. Actually, I should say, I guess only uh, Gregory Parker is uh, responsible for both of them. Uh, Dr. Clausing, I think <laughs> Ouch. I think I think you only get credit for this one, but Dr. Parker gets yeah. the two. So, but uh, we're Christians, we share glory, and uh, that's what we're going to do here true. today. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. Well, I'm, it's, I'm it's, ha- happy for Cam to get as much credit on the second one as he wants. <laughs> I, I mean, I did write a I did write a recommendation for uh, for um, for your book, Greg. So it's true. Yeah, I'm it's not true. sure if it sells at all yes. without that endorsement. So. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. <laughs> the economy of scholarly uh, back scratching and the debt ratios are very hard to keep track of. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I feel, it's I feel a mutual weird. admiration society here. <laughs> That's <Yes>. right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's it's a delight to talk to both of you. You know, when I Dale and I have tried ever since we've started the podcast to kind of keep up to date in Bobbing studies and the things that are coming out. And one of the things that I, you know, when I was reading Eglinton's biography of Bob Inc., you, you, what you see in that biography, of course, is uh, all of these books get mentioned that you sort of have never heard about. And you get excited mm-hmm. about like, oh, wow, Bob Inc. wrote a 200 page book about teenagers. That sounds interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And two of them that were actually very interesting to me was this mention of a guidebook, a sort of uh, a short uh, a shorter version of the dogmatics that's even sort of another order of magnitude shorter than uh, 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 than than our reasonable faith. And likewise, uh, this this idea that Bovin contributed something to the 19th century essence of Christianity debate. Uh, so all that's just fascinating to me. And it was so exciting to see these books come out. Uh, and, and maybe, yeah, just as a way of, uh, 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 well, maybe we'll start with what is Christianity. Um, um, it would be interesting, I suppose, to 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 frame frame this in terms of what the what is that 19th century background that Bavink is writing within? That is to say, it seems like there's all these books in the 19th century called What is Christianity? The Essence of Christianity or something like this. And it seems like Bavink's title is uh, uh, coming in sort of late. I mean, after a lot of books are written with a similar title and there's 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 some. Um, uh, 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 I don't know, there's some resonance, it seems, between the way he's framing this book and a, and a larger discussion of Christianity in the 19th century. Is there a way of, I guess, making that clear? What is he What is he trying to accomplish, I suppose, with that particular text? Yeah, yeah. So there's actually uh, two essays in that book, What is Christianity? Uh, the first one is uh, the later one, actually, so it kind of works uh, chronologically backwards, I suppose. Uh, which was a 1912 text. And uh, that one is really his contribution to the discussion itself. And he's really trying to say Christ is Christianity. Uh, and he, it's it's kind of part of a larger uh, book series that this Dutch publisher that he was working with, with was putting out uh, called The Great Religions. Uh, actually, his buddy uh, Snooky uh, wrote the one on um, uh, Islam. And so... Mm. Yeah, so it's it's partially part of this kind of publishing movement. Uh, they're trying to expose the Dutch uh, publishers or, or the Dutch, sorry, not Dutch publishers, the Dutch public um, to all the various religions that are on the a la carte uh, menu. But at the same time, it is this contribution to the discussion. 
uh, where he's really trying to cement Christ as uh, being a historic figure and Christ as being the Christ of scripture uh, and really trying to really in a, you know, 66 pages, I think is what Warfield, uh, the original uh, Dutch version was, uh, that Warfield comment on in 66 short pages, he really uh, maps this historic retelling of, of what Christianity is. Uh, and I think probably remarkably at the end, um, as a you know a Dutch reformed thinker, uh, Calvinist, <clears throat> excuse me, you almost expect him to tell you that uh, we have to think about reformed theology as the correct rendition of, of theology. Uh, but his retelling is is quite broad and and ironic and kind, and uh, he's really not throwing too many punches. I mean, he gets the Catholics a few times, um, but it's also, yeah, like you said, participating in this larger modern theology discussion. He's responding partially to to Hegel and Harnack and to Feuerbach, uh, but it's all much more. Uh, you kind of have to be aware that that discussion is even happening uh, as you're reading it to to catch up those catch those notes of it. Because uh, it's really for the the non-academic. That's who he's writing for. Right. So. It's interesting uh, that Harnack, uh, you mentioned Harnack, it's interesting when he's writing about Christianity, uh, even if even if I think it, by instinct, if sort of evangelical Protestants were to try and cast, cast a wide net as to sort of what unites all of Christendom together, uh, it, you know, my tendency might be to say something like, you know, think about the Council of Nicaea or something like that. Mm -hmm. But one of the kind of interesting movements it seems like Bob Inc. is making in this essay is also to ask what unites sort of Christians who were in pre-credal times, you know, Christianity split up fairly early. Uh, what is it that makes us able to say they're Christians? And what is it that makes us able even to speak about a sort of Christianity? Uh, he'll even mention sort of modern Christianity. Uh, mm -hmm. And Harnack is sort of like, here's a, here's an example of what's going on in modern Christianity. And I, the, the uh, uh, the scope with which he's painting uh, the answer to the question of Christianity is really fascinating because it's not um, it doesn't seem to be against sort of the, the the crucialness of the creed in defining Christianity, but his scope in sort of defining what is this reality seems to be broader than than sort of those who agree with the creed, uh, uh, which is. Uh, which sort of fascinated me. I mean, it's on the one hand, he's making this move, you're right, of not just going straight to saying, and reformed is the truth. He, right. But it's also almost, he's almost going, if he's being scary by not doing that, he's being scary <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> right. Because he's he's trying to capture Christianity within such a large scope. And I wonder, maybe you could comment on this. Is there a way in which the book could be called, the way he's defining Christianity is sort of, something like the it is christ in the christian life and christian doctrine but it's almost uh what in, what gets all of those things included is the effects of christ in the world that that what is christianity it is also this movement uh uh that has actually affected civilization in this way and so towards the end he has this interesting moment about mission it's actually christian civilization is important because uh it's contributed it's it's uniquely adequated to man uh, and mm -hmm. has therefore contributed something to humankind without which he almost expects the decline of Christianity would be the decline of uh, actually some cultural offering even. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that, uh, I don't know, what do you think of that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I think uh, part of his retelling is he's trying to open up the reader to the idea that the phenomena of Christianity 
uh, is itself an apologetic, that it still exists, that it's still churning along in culture. Uh, I think he, he kind of appeals to Augustine in this way. And then I think at the end of the city of God, Augustine says it's it's actually quite remarkable that these, you know, uneducated mm. disciples ended up changing the world. Uh, and Bob Inc. really kind of draws upon that argument to say, like, can we really look at what the church has done because of and in light of Christ and not say, well, you kind of have to now grapple with who Christ is. And so I think that's the slight apologetic that comes through or is pulled through uh, of the book. And if that second essay works as a kind of a, a perfect carry on of that, it's that the first essay, you know, the 1912 one looks at the phenomena of Christianity and uh, which is Christ himself, uh, Bob Inc. would say. And then the second essay, which was written in 1883, right at the start of his academic career, uh, really looks at kind of more of that creedal because he's expositing the Apostles' Creed. So we go from the phenomena of Christianity to the mm. essence of Christianity. Um, and so uh, at some point, some doctoral student will uh, connect all the dots between those two uh, essays. But I think that's pretty fascinating. Speak, speaking of uh, doctoral students, uh, 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 one of the things I, since uh, Dr. Clausing, since you're on the podcast, I would love to segue actually into uh, 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 to uh, not that you're a doctoral student, you you graduated obviously. It's uh, actually Gregory who just graduated, right? Um, uh, yes, this is true. congratulations, yeah. Doctor Parker. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, finally, the Davenant Institute has recognized it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. it's now official. We recognize everyone. So we never recognize your doctorates. That's what you're you're welcome. Yeah, right. Um, but the subject of your dissertation, uh, Cam, was was uh, Bob Inc. and in, in his relationship to history, and one of the or, or, or had something to do with historicism in Bob Inc. If I recall, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, one of the one of the things that's fascinating in the essay, "What Is Christianity?" is precisely that Bob Inc. is giving he he's trying to see Christ's significance and tying together uh, uh, a whole host of time it is a history of christianity but there's a way in which christ himself unifies the history itself unifies the time of of christianity and and i one of the 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 quotes that i've encountered in bobbing that perhaps shaped my thinking more than any other is this famous i say famous famous to bobbing people <laughs> this famous quote in philosophy of revelation where, where bobbing just riffs on christ being the center of history the idea that yeah. you really can't find uh, a, a way in which to organize or distribute history and all of its meaning in parts without the centerpiece, uh, uh, without the centerpiece that is Christ. So actually, I'm sort of exploiting things here. This was supposed to be about these two <laughs> books, but I would love to ask that just for those because we're you know nerding out about Bob Inc a little bit here. Mm -hmm. uh, when is your work going to be available, and, and what is your <laughs> what is your what is your sort of overall argument? What 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 it, what an effect is your is your thesis in your work so that people can look forward to this because it's one of those subjects Bobbing Bobbing writes about historical revelation even he does all this stuff that's interesting with history and nobody's written about it and you have and I think it's great and I want people yeah. to there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I, I mean so uh, that that quote that he that you you referenced is actually a quote uh, is actually um him riffing on a, a, a the the philosopher of history uh uh Rudolf uh Oiken. I can never remember how to pronounce his name um but, but Bobink is really actually quite uh quite influenced by both him and Diltai when it comes to his understanding of history 
and uh, and and so it's re it's re just really a fascinating subject. But I'm, I'm working on uh, finishing up my manuscript. I'll have it into Oxford, uh, uh, hopefully at the end of this year. I'm contracted to have it into them at the end of this year. So, uh, and then and then who knows how long it'll take to get through the editing process. Uh, but hopefully sometime next year, the uh, the book will actually be out um, and available through Oxford University Press. So. Um, uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, if that I, I don't remember if that, that was the the full extent of the question, <laughs> but uh, but but uh, it's a it's it's a fascinating topic, and and I think that this is uh, like like with uh, what is Christianity, I think that I think that what Bovink does with history, um, I, I was having a conversation with uh, Simon Kennedy who who teaches in Brisbane, uh, and he teaches intellectual history, and he's just written a paper on Bovink and history. And we were we were uh, kind of going back and forth for a bit about about what is the influence what influence is Bavink is Bavink um, experiencing like where where is Bavink finding his understanding of history, and and uh, Simon wanted to argue that it's Hegel, and I said I, I'm just not convinced that it's Hegel though there are Hegelian streams there with some of what Bavink says uh, a lot of what Bavink is doing is actually uh, is actually um, I think feeding off of Augustine and Augustine's understanding of, of how history works with Christ being the center and everything else, uh, everything mm -hmm. else kind of rippling out from Christ. I mean, once again, it, uh, as you read city of God, this is kind of how, uh, this is kind of how, how, um, uh, Augustine understands the, the flow of history that, that Christ is, is the centerpiece, the, the middle point of history and everything kind of flows out from that. And, and I think to the extent that Bob Inc is borrowing from Hegel, it's, because Hegel is borrowing from from Augustine in his understanding of history right. on, on, the, on these things. And, and thus um, he finds he finds uh, people like Diltai actually quite helpful for understanding how how history works, because Diltai is, um, I, I think, also influenced by Plato and Augustine and and their understandings of how of how history moves forward. So. Um, yeah, I think I, I think that um, I, I think that uh, one of the things that you can trace throughout throughout the uh, throughout all of Bobbing's work is this strong indebtedness to Augustinian thinking and, and Augustine on uh, on a lot of on a lot of stuff. But but at the same time, because because Bobbing is I mean, I, I argue that Bobbing is influenced by historicism of uh, 19th century historicism uh the 19th century being the time where history as a science in its own right becomes um becomes a science uh i mean up to that point history was used always for the purpose of kind of and here's the moral lesson that we get from history uh when when we get to when we get to the 19th century for the first time um you have history being told as if you're an ob objective observer of it and you can mm. um, and you can actually say the way it is or the way it happened. Um, and, and thus what what uh, what what all of I, part of the whole essence of Christianity question then becomes is that is is tied to that historicism question like okay right uh not only how do we understand scripture but then okay what is the what is the kernel what is uh what is that that the seed that is the essence the 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 very thing that can't be changed in christianity and i, and I think to some degree we still ask this question it's a, it's a question that even to this day we we still have a lot of we still have a lot of conversations with uh people about and in fact when you think about uh I, I live on a busy, or I I, I, st I work on a busy street. So if you heard the horn, no, no worries. No worries. <laughs> Sounds from across um, the world. It's beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, 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 the horns in Australia sound different than the horns in America. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but um, as a, uh, one of the things that that's amazing, I, I think even like how, how Bob Inc. as I kind of think about like Greg's uh, Greg's translation. And then I think about what, what we did with guidebook. Um, and, and then as I think about how people are even resourcing Bob Inc. now, one of the, one of the questions that, that, that has been kind of rolling around in the back of my head is that, that question of, uh, of the essence of Christianity <laughs> And kind of picking up on missiology and some missiology uh, conversations that are happening, particularly with somebody like Andrew Walls, who who puts together the the whole um, idea of a pilgrim principle of Christianity and an indigenizing principle of Christianity, wherein mm. when wherein when when we when Christianity encounters a new a new culture, there's certain things about Christianity that cannot be changed, and certain things about Christianity that have to be changed because they're because they're encountering a new culture and and these things and Christianity isn't isn't like uh isn't like Islam where you go into that cult a culture and it has to be exactly the same no matter where it is and and, and I think Bob Inc is is still is starting to toy with this idea when it comes to how he understands theology how he understands uh historicism I mean this is a big part of historicism that 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 in fact things change and grow and progress over time Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and thus that's why, I mean, part of the reason why the essence of Christianity question comes up is because things have progressed since the first century. So what, what holds Christianity together anymore? Um, and, and I think that, I think that it's a question that we're still asking as we kind of come into, uh, the 21st century, yeah. what are, what is that, what is the pilgrim principle that, that has to remain the same and what are the indigenizing principles of Christianity? That's really mm-hmm. fascinating because, uh, yeah, you get the sense when you read this, of course, that it is a it, it, it's a text that clearly couldn't have been written outside of the modern world. Uh, partially, you know, you mentioned uh, 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 the rise of um, uh, history becoming a science in, in its own. This is also, you know, the you know the rise of religious studies. You know, yeah. this is when religion as a category and the way we use it now, as I'm sure you guys are aware, you know, becomes a category, and we begin to start studying Christianity and Islam. And this is in a series of books on what is Christianity, what is Islam, and as Gregory put it, like we all experience that as sort of a buffet. And, 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 and within each of those categories, once you're pulling back and looking at it at, in a phenomenological way, each of the boxes are just so big. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and one of the things that's interesting in this book that uh, I'd love to hear y'all's comments on uh, are, the, are the, I suppose to some, some Protestant sentiments, the shocking, uh, 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 the shocking suggestion that uh, the division of the church, Catholic and Protestant, uh, currently is still almost portrayed as a sort of judgment on Christian lack of charity. <laughs> uh, actually, that if you know, in, in, inverting the comment, almost actually that if Christians actually learn to love better, uh, somehow you would see some reunification of the church. And it seems like later Bobink does begin to have an eyeball again, just as he has an eyeball on sort of what does it mean to project Christianity into the modern world. There's this eyeball on what will the 20th century ecumenical project be. He's seeing these developments in Roman Catholicism, and he seems toward the end of his life almost anticipating a, I'm going to use the phrase almost a kind of reformed ecumenicity, but not in any of the maybe loosey-goosey way that that can mean something later in the 20th century. Uh, I I don't know. I guess I'm curious 
what you all think he's doing sort of within the larger Christian community toward the end of his life or how he's imagining his project relating, as it were, to, you know, the Protestants relating to Catholics in the modern world and this sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bruce Pass and his uh, book, on theology, which was a translation of a bunch of academic speeches that Bobbin gave. Uh, I think the introduction to that is fascinating. And and Bruce kind of walks through how Bobbin's approach to culture changes a bit, where in his early days, he was much more interested in kind of drawing lines in the sand or, or, or creating dikes between him and other uh, faith communities in, in order to kind of establish, okay, this is who we are as, you know, the uh, seceders and who we are as this group of people doing uh, theology and then past really traces out how by the end of, of Bobbing's academic career and I think he does so quite persuasively uh, Bobbing's much more interested in kind of building bridges and connecting faith communities and saying all right like actually to approach modernity to approach the issues that we have on setting us uh, we kind of have to have a united front and I think the this this essay on Christianity is a great example of that of Bobink really trying to persuasively present Christianity as this beautiful thing, and not as this thing with uh, a thousand different uh, divisions and chasms within it. Um, and I think secondly to that, um, I think within neo Calvinism there is this idea that uh, diversity is inherently not a bad thing. Um, yeah. It's kind of kind of drawing on on Babel that the Tower of Babel was a way for God to continue His plan, uh, not uh, not really a, a. It's not the bad thing that we make it out to be, so to say. Um, and so this diversity of, of within the church is not as bad as it uh, has to be. It's actually a, a good way of the church moving forward and finding itself into different uh, communities. Kind of what Cam was uh, suggesting with Andrew Walls, but that's a. Cam, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Cam, I'd love to hear your thoughts though on that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think as well. <laughs> um, one of the one of the things to um, remember is that I, I think that by the by the beginning of the 20th century, Bovink had kind of started seeing a lot of what um, not to pit Bovink against Kuiper, but a lot of Kuiper's project as as kind of a failed project at this point. Like it was, it like he realized that that they weren't going to keep the Netherlands reformed and Christian uh, in the sense that it had been in the, in the 19th century. And once again, this goes back to, I, I think some of this goes back to Bobbing's understanding of, uh, of historicism. I, perhaps it's just because I do my, I did my PhD. On it. <laughs> <laughs> this, is the, all, this is the only theme in Bavik now. It's always, um, it, I mean, it, it's like, it, like my, my goal is for everybody to write their PhDs about, about historicism and forget the, the organic motif and go like, no, actually it's historicism. <laughs> <laughs> this is the unifying motif in Bavik. Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. No, I mean, I think I think some of it is just Bavink understood that there is no golden age of Christianity to uh, uh, to go back to, and, and thus, I mean, this is this is this is his introduction to um, to the first edition of the Reformed Dogmatics. It's his introduction to the uh, to his translate or to his work on the Leiden Synopsis. Um, it's his introduction to Magnalia Dei, where he basically just says, "Look, times have changed. There are new questions that are being asked." And we need to provide new answers to those questions. Um, they, they, they're answers that are still that are still rooted in the historic faith and and what we've historically believed. 
but they're new questions and they're new, they're new challenges to the faith. And thus that means mm -hmm. that we have to approach it differently. And I think that that, I think that that's the same thing then when it comes to his cultural questions, I mean, why, why all of a sudden uh, is he, is he becoming more ecumenical um, in, in a good way? Uh, because he realizes that, that in the end, like if we want to continue to see uh, the, the, the society reach for the gospel, we need to find co-belligerence co in some of these cultural uh, cultural questions that we may not agree with everything, but we agree on this particular issue. So how can we how can we unite around it? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it, in some ways it's a it's it's very much a um, I know I, this this is not the case necessarily here in my context, but I know in inside the American context, this might be a a, a tricky a tricky com uh, comment to make. In some ways, this is very this is very much. Uh, one one could see the influence of of uh, of a liberalism um, uh, in in Bavink's thought in this way, and that he and he that he's kind of saying, okay, how can we build large coalitions um, for for the uh, for the um, yeah, as opposed to as opposed to having our own little um, groups that that are segmented mm -hmm. off in society, trying to trying to force society to go a particular way, but going like. Okay, how do we how do we build these coalitions of of co belligerence to see certain things that we all agree need to be need to be changed in society? So there's there's, 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 a, there's a liberal Brock's street. orthodox but modern Bob Inc. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 <laughs> or, to, or even to, to coin a to coin a phrase, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's the uh, but of course that's the real central theme is orthodox but modern. That's, that's really pulls it all together in Bob Inc. Uh, it would be interesting to see somebody, in fact, I would think, write a, a, a just as one could almost write Bavink as sort of an original, uh, you know, sort of ecumenist. It would be interesting to write of him as an original theorist of diversity, because that is a really interesting theme. I mean, as you mentioned that this is part of neo-Calvinism, but it's interesting to see that that even though in the in the in in what is Christianity. Again, there is a there is a sense that that part of what the phenomena of Christianity is is the cultural phenomena of Christianity, which still incubates a little bit in a harnack despite himself, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and yet it's not Europe-centric. The way he's writing, he's kind of speaking of a Christendom of sorts, but he's really, but it's a wider Christendom. It's not defined as, it's not reducible to Europe. And Bobbing does seem to, to have this expectation that you just mentioned, Cam, that wherever Christianity goes, uh, it, it, you know, it only opposes sin. It doesn't oppose creation. And, and presumably every nation has its own vantage points and insights and that the final uh, the final galaxy brain hot take, if we could put it that way, uh, <laughs> is going to involve what is pre-contained in all, you know, not just the world of men and women, but all nations, uh, mm -hmm. or, you know, all gifts, all callings, all personalities, that sort of thing. Uh, uh, it would be very interesting, I think, to, to see work like that done. Um, just to say something about guidebook, uh, I had the privilege of using this at, at Davenant. We, I, I taught a class called the Desire of Every Nation, which was, uh, you might say, a, a, a Catholic, a Protestant, a Neoplatonist, uh, uh, and a perennialist philosopher walked into a bar and talked to each other. <laughs> uh, uh, and Bavink was my Protestant. Uh, it's because I use this is really goes through the whole Christian faith. Uh, oh, I should hold this up because we got free copies. It looks mm -hmm. like this, everybody. Uh, 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 but he goes through the whole Christian faith and we sort of paired him over against the Catholic and over against the uh, sort of the perennialist philosopher. 
uh, and went through sort of what does it look like to speak about sin and redemption from a kind of natural philosophical perspective or from this Reformed Protestant perspective. And he was the best, I must say. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> your translation of Bavink uh, did in fact win out in the in the Platonic dialogue. I I, I neatly reconstructed out of this uh, out of his speaking part in this book. But a fascinating text. Uh, what what was the context in which? I mean, so he writes obviously Reformed dogmatics, two editions, one that's you know Bavink 1.0, one that's a little bit Bavink 2.0, even though there's organic continuity between those, of course. Uh, then our reasonable faith. But toward the end, he writes this shorter text. What's the what's kind of the goal of reducing what was formerly 2,500 pages of dogmatics into 180 pages? What's he What's he trying to accomplish there? I mean, once again, you just got like just thinking about the the context in which he's writing. He he realizes that um, the reform dogmatics is not written for everyone. I, I think this is one of the one of the issues inside of inside of theological writing these days, and, and inside of the consumption of theological writing. We we have this view that everything needs to be ecumenical or not ecumenical, egalitarian. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm. Um, and that and that everybody it, it all has to be equally uh, grasped. And if I and if uh, if I'm reading something that's uh, if 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 I'm reading something and uh, it should be just as accessible to the average person in my church that doesn't actually that hasn't actually uh, got a theology degree or or even to my pastor. Um, so like, if I'm reading Reformed Dogmatics, I know a lot of pastors that just are going to look at that and go, this is this is a really tough read. And it's and it is a really tough read. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it assumes a lot of knowledge because it's a scientific theology. Um, so I think that, I think that the first thing that we realize when we, when we come to something like guidebook is that is the fact that Bavink, um, Bavink didn't write all of his works as egalitarian works. They, they weren't for everyone. Um, so the reform dogmatics wasn't for everyone. And, and it's not something that I would actually recommend to most people in, in my churches. Um, mm -hmm. when we get to, when we get to something like Magnolia Day, um, the wonderful works of God, it's, he, he's writing that, uh, once again, not for everyone. But for the educated layperson in in, the, in your church, probably has a has a college or university education, and uh, and it's a it, it's a great work that's accessible to that level. But then but then he also realizes once again, like this isn't for everyone, and there needs to be something that that's for our young people in our churches uh, as they're getting ready to graduate from high school and go into the university. He's 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 one he's once again in the early twentieth century in the Netherlands where the universities. Um, are, just aren't going to uh, help secure the faith anymore, and so what? Is, what does he do? He says, "Okay, well, how do we how how do we help prepare them? Well, we we've done catechism, so how do we go deeper into the into a cate, into a catechetical understanding of of our theology?" And he writes and he writes guidebook, a, a short 20, 20 chapter um, book that will that that he then is able to use as a um mm. as a as a tool to to train up young people as they get ready to leave high school and go into university so i, I mean I, I think that what at a very base level one of the things that's really great about about having these three works out is that it just reminds us that that actually you don't like you don't need to write every work for every person mm. um and not every person actually needs to read everything that that uh that's put out there um there, mm. there's a place there's a place for uh, people to write pop to popularize uh, academic works and there's a place for academic works that are just speaking to the academy yeah was there something that surprised each of you in translating guidebook because of course it's a late book and a lot of the paragraphs come from 
wonderful works of God, but then there's these new paragraphs that are late bavink. Was there anything that, you know, in translating you're like, ooh, that's that's delicious uh, <laughs> or surprising or, or I don't know, that stood out to you, intrigued you? I give my answer. I'll give my quick answer. My quick answer is always the fact that Bavink says in, in chapter 20 that, that we won't have stomachs in heaven. Oh. <laughs> 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 Which I'm, I'm trying to still figure out how we feast at the marriage marriage supper of yeah. the lamb if we don't have stomachs. But yeah, interesting. Is yeah. that an old is is that is that part of his scholastic inheritance? Uh, uh, is that a is the, is there like church historical precedent for that claim? I know there's this in scholasticism. <clears throat> there's this whole grammar of what the resurrected body is like, and it's I'm not adept enough with it to know exactly if that pings it or not. That's interesting though. No stomachs in heaven. He was confident about this. Uh, I think it's just a a poor reading of First Corinthians six. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't recall what the Dutch. Uh, version of the bible the stott and vertaling says about it uh but I, I think he's just reading that verse or recalling it poorly and uh and thinking we don't have stomachs, we don't have stomachs um, in heaven. Well, yeah I, it's it's a nice line though to remember when someone says to you like uh you know greg you've done your phd on bob you know, is there anything you disagree with him on you can say well i, 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 I think <laughs> we're gonna we have, have stomachs we don't have stomachs in heaven yes yes uh, um i think maybe interestingly uh, comparing the two volumes, um, that that twentieth chapter is, I think, significantly longer than the rest of yes. them, um, and so that really struck me going through it. I think most of them, you know, have like sixteen, eighteen paragraphs, and that one has like forty-five. Yeah. I think the Trinity chapter is the next longest. Uh, so those two kind of stood out to me. And in a time where people really aren't thinking a ton about eschatology, you know. Bobbing's got 45 paragraphs devoted yeah. to it in this in this little book. Um, it's also not as much caught up into uh, certain arguments, so that's kind right. of interesting. It's uh, that's very streamlined at the same time. Chapter was so striking when I went through it with the students. We're reading it next to Thomas Joseph White, our Catholic mm -hmm. interlocutor, and our, our 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 again our perennialist philosopher interlocutor. Uh, but Bobbing does spend, it, uh, relative to the other chapters, a significant amount of time on eschatology. But it's a fascinating, it, it's a beautiful chapter in a lot of ways. It, it can, and especially I think for it's an interesting time because of course he's writing in a, in a in a time when dispensational eschatology is sort of becoming right. all the rage. But he's mm -hmm. not. It, it's sort of uh, excitement about eschatology in the in the teens that isn't dispensationalist, you know, <laughs> pop right. excitement. Uh, uh, yeah, very fascinating, Jeff. That's an interesting yep. point. Yeah, he ends more. Yeah, and I, I think in general kind of Protestant anthropology rests on certain eschatological readings. And so it's, uh, I think in a, in a volume oriented towards teenagers, it's really helpful in, in processing who, who are we, where are we heading to have an extended mm. chapter on that. Uh, and that and that's the other really the historical tidbit to recall is that his daughter, uh, Hannah or Hanny, um, this this would have been published right about the time that she would have been able to read it, I believe. I, I can't recall exactly what her age was um, at the time, but I think it's it's pretty much she was a teenager at this time, I think. Um, so mm -hmm. he's he's really writing with his daughter in mind in certain ways, which is a fascinating uh, way to view the book. Mm. What um, as we um, uh, uh, as we sort of move move toward a close here, what uh, I have a, just a question about why. I guess it's a two-part question, and maybe you both can answer this. Um, 
why these texts, you know, there's, a, there's an enormous amount of Bavink text to translate still. Uh, and so anytime you're picking a Bavink text, you're picking one out of a bunch that could be selected. What, what attracted you, I guess, to these particular texts? And then I guess the next question then becomes, what's, what's next? Uh, what do you guys, what do you guys either, uh, uh, even if you're not working on a translation now, what do you hope is be, will be translated? Uh, uh, or what are you excited that is being translated, even if even if not by you guys? Obviously not by Cam, because he only translates one, and it's great that he <laughs> translates all the all the books. Uh, well, I think uh, if I can answer partially for both of us, uh, years ago when when Cam and I first met at an ETS, uh, we had this discussion about translating some bobbing together and teaming up and uh, and really kind of collecting our our forces, I guess, and, and synergizing with it. And, uh, and one thing that we really agreed on was the desire to see a, uh, a focus on the pastoral or the more ecclesially oriented Bavink. Mm -hmm. And so our translations have all been oriented in this kind of accessible uh, direction. So we started with the sacrifice of praise in 2019, uh, which is really about uh, that time between being baptized and before you've taken the Lord's Supper and kind of processing what does it mean to confess your faith. And then we moved on to to guidebook shortly thereafter. Uh, really, with this idea, I think of of just catechizing the next generation of of believers in the church. Mm. So that was that's kind of the heart behind uh, these projects, which is why uh, they're devoted to or dedicated to uh, the children in our lives. I don't have ten kids; these are my friends' kids. Uh, but but Cam does have two kids. <laughs> oh, I thought you were about to say Cam has ten kids. That's a uh, yeah, that's a uh, that's a lot of kids. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't really have much more to say that Greg hasn't said. I think one of the things that um, for for me, as I kind of thought about these two, the two texts that Greg and I have translated together, um, it, they're they're just texts that I that I think uh, are 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 for the church. Um, mm. I, not not that the other ones aren't uh, that that have been translated, but they're ones that that are going to be wet, read read widely. Mm. Um, try saying that 10 times fast, um, <laughs> because, because they're, they're accessible. I mean, I've, I've, I've got, um, I was just talking to a church in, uh, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and, uh, we'll, my family and I will be back in the States for Christmas. And, uh, and they asked me, the, the church asked me if I'd come speak to their youth because their youth are reading through guidebook together, oh, um, wow. for their that's youth great. group. And, and I said, I, I said, I'd love to, it's a, but I, I think that that's really the goal there. Like for both guidebook and sacrifice of praise, our goal is to, it was to see, um, young people be able to pick up and read good theology, um, in a time where not a lot of systematic theology is written for them. Um, yeah. not a lot of, and, and, and here in, in both guidebook sacrifice of praise, what is Christianity? You have a, a master of theology, um, doing everything he can to make his theology as accessible as possible. And, and I, and, and I appreciate that. And, um, he becomes, he becomes for me, um, I, I don't consider myself a master of theology like, like he was, but he becomes an example for, for me and reminding me, like, I, I can write to the academy, but, but I also need to always have the church in mind and, and, and how I'm writing. So, mm -hmm. um, for me that that's been kind of the, um, the, the big payoff has been when, when I hear of teenagers getting, being given sacrifice of praise for as a Christmas gift or a birthday gift, when I hear youth groups are picking up. Um, guidebook and using it for their theology, uh, for studying theology and talking through theology. Like those are, 
I, I hope that I hope that people in the academy use it for whatever research they want to use it for. But I could care less about that. It's um, it's mm-hmm. the it's it's the 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 young the young person in the church that's being uh, formed in their faith that I get really excited about. That's awesome. So what's next? What's yeah. next? Uh, well, both Greg and I. Uh, I mean, I'm contracted for my my OUP book that'll come out hopefully next year. And then uh, Greg is uh, Greg and I are contracted to retranslate Magnolia Day, um, the wonderful works of God. Um, Oh, wow. Westminster Westminster did a great, great job with their uh, with their uh, republication of the old translation. There are a lot of there are a lot of issues. Um, We we say this in the introduction to guidebook. There are a lot of issues with the. uh, with the publication as well as um, missing parts and chap uh, paragraphs that have been dropped out. I don't know why I didn't hear about this before I bought it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, so, so yeah, so we're contracted uh, with Hendrickson to, to produce another, uh, to produce a new translation of that. Um, our goal with that, uh, I mean, I might, I, I, I might get us in trouble for saying this. Uh, our goal with that is to do a lot more cross-referencing between uh, guidebook Magnolia Day and Reform Dogmatics mm. to make it super, to make it super uh, usable for for somebody to go. Okay, I've read this in this text. Where can I find it in this text? And uh, where does Bobink expand it in that text and stuff like that? So uh, we we started doing a little bit of that work with guidebook, but we want to we want to do something that's much more uh, fleshed out um, in in Magnolia Day. Okay, that's excellent. And did I did I hear through the rumor mill that somebody is also translating Bovink's, uh book on teenagers? Direct, he writes this this other work on teenagers, and I thought I heard through the rumor mill somebody's working on that as well. I, I, I know believe- James is. Yeah, I believe James, James has yeah. started to. I think uh, other projects have taken over at the moment, but okay. it's uh, it's at least in a Word document somewhere. Okay. Well, when my teenagers are out of the house, then I'll get Bovink's advice, and that's <laughs> <laughs> when it goes wrong. I'll just blame that it wasn't out yet. Uh, right. Blame it on James. That's that's my <laughs> that's, most that's things. Most things. Do. Anytime that I anytime that I mess up on something, I blame it on James. <laughs> anytime I succeed, I don't give him any credit. <laughs> as all as all graduate students are wont to do to their uh, to their uh, to their supervisors. Uh, well, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about these things. I especially appreciate your your comment, Cam, about uh, uh, really and really the heart of both of you to to want to take kind of Bovink the pastor, taking all of this rich theology that we're all discovering, but then but then find those texts where he pulls it all together and, and, and delivers it to ordinary folks. And in fact, you know, I find you know when I read somebody like you know my two kind of patron saints are. Uh, uh, for as in as much as a Protestant can have patron saint, uh, <laughs> are Herman Bovink and C.S. Lewis, and one of the reasons you know, you know there's a similarity there. In fact, that Lewis consolidates this enormous tradition, but really, what makes Lewis Lewis is that he can he can deliver it with such whimsical prose that's for ordinary persons. And the in that delivery, and this is another thing about this guidebook, is that 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 translation from dogmatics to the ordinary person is not a it's what's shocking is it's not a reduction and in fact there's a kind of layer of insight a layer of livingness that becomes more potent in a way uh, when you see it all put in such plain terms oh yeah go ahead yeah so um i kelly capic did uh the book launch here in australia last week 
and he said something that that um, that I that I've thought a lot about. Uh, I, I've thought about it before, but haven't been able to say it in the same way that Kelly can because he's Kelly Capic and I'm just Cameron Clousing. Um, but uh, but Kelly Kelly just made the comment of saying there, there's something about being able to move from complexity to simplicity without it becoming simplistic. And and, mm-hmm. and he he talked about this this particular work. He's like you you can see the complexity behind this work if you know it but it's simple uh for the av- for 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 most people exactly. without it being simplistic answers to complex questions yeah so I, I, it's been something that i've spent a lot of time thinking about since kelly said it and and i think it i think it really does uh sum sum up a lot of what's happening in 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 guidebook yeah well that's that's perfect well Thank you, gentlemen, for all of your work and what you're doing. Uh, this is really exciting. I'm glad to have others pointed to your work uh, and to follow uh, uh, Dr. Clausing, this book coming out. Gregory, you also just published your dissertation. Is that, uh, do you have any anticipation of publishing that as well? Where can people look to find your work? Uh, I, I will at some point. I haven't started seeking out uh, it's publishers only been yet. It's so, minutes, so, uh, yeah. you know, so, <laughs> so like you don't have to think about it. <laughs> yeah. So I I will in due time, and and I'm sure I'll I'll email just you. I won't let Dale know since he you snubbed us today. Dale. But Dale's yeah, on us today. Yeah, shame <laughs> on him. He doesn't love Bobby mm-hmm. enough. Well, thanks again, gentlemen. Great to see you for the for our listeners. Uh, obviously you can find us on all the podcast catchers. Usually Dale does this part and has a whole speech. And I, uh, since he's abandoned me, I don't know how to end it, (laughs) but come back and see us next time. (laughs) 